So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. My name is Chris and that is Mike. Hi. Hello. And our co-host today is Christmas. (laughs) Hello Christmas. Ho, 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 Christmas. So yeah, this is our Christmas special, a special episode where we are going to reflect a little bit on uh, the usual stuff, but also uh, look back at the podcast so far. And if you are liking what we're doing, then do subscribe. Uh, We can see the audience is growing steadily week on week, genuinely. And uh, we can see the five stars ticking up as well. So thank you for that. Uh, It all really helps. So um, just to kick things off as normal, how's your week, Mike? I'm I suppose it's a bit of feedback on what I said last week first, which is I managed to get to the coast on the weekend, which was my aim. So I got out, walked along the beach with the dogs, which was the highlight of the week. I saw um, you posting about that, actually, your photos. Yeah, right? yeah. I thought I would share the the, the pictures of a uh, kind of cloudy looking Weymouth beach. And so that was that was cool. I suppose the and the other the other thing sort of linked to that is this week's been all about the rain um the the springs in the street have uh exploded so there's water running down the road at the moment and the council are coming along and pumping it away it's it's all a bit mad so that's the kind of like to uh, pick up the phones of defra well or environment agency sorry yeah i i suppose i suppose i i should know some people shouldn't i but anyway i don't (laughs) um but then uh, but on, on a, like a work front, this week's really been a, a like a bit of a business development week, um, which basically meant I had a chat with somebody uh, around uh, some ideas. And we were thinking about like data value, data reuse and the data practices and bringing them all together into some kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, looking in, looking to the new year and what new projects might be out there this week. Good stuff. And should you like? Uh, Mike Rose services, then uh, do look up Mike Rose. <laughs> Search Mike Thank Rose. Very much. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Uh, Mike, what did I call you? Mike Minefield Rose <laughs> this week. Minefield, yes. Yeah, well, seem, you know. seems to be highlighting all of these uh, data issues for the right reasons, though, as well. Um, yeah, so my week uh, is a bit different. Um, we both live in the countryside, but uh, I didn't really get out this week. I was in London quite a bit. I had a brilliant brilliant dinner actually in bank with some great leaders two people one from um, monza bank and one from caxton um that's a sort of payment system provider and it was fantastic it was a really interesting chat and i think the one thing one of the things that i took away more than anything was this the success that he was a co-founder and a cfo um but the real success of it he felt came from good user experience and good visualization it had nothing to do with the fact that they were providing banking services it was just to do with the audience and the engagement side of things which um was a really interesting comment from a cfo right because you don't always think that they uh they think about these things but i'm sure the people who are on this podcast are it's not all about the numbers right and that that what you just said there so you talk i assume that that could have been the person from monzo but I remember talking at the last uh, Gen CFO meet to somebody from Octopus Energy um, and both Monzo and Octopus Energy are examples uh, that I've used previously in training um, to illustrate the, the difference in in services now from in the past. So in the past, people, uh, companies had infrastructure like banks would have branches and would have offices and bank managers and in, uh, energy companies would have 
generation generating capabilities whereas actually both octopus and monzo were set up as data companies so actually they started mm. off with from the data first and yep. they gradually branched into the other stuff but the, the the angle was very much like a software app data angle rather than a build the infrastructure so just an interesting illustration of that, that change in how we do things Totally. And as interesting as that is, that has very little to do with Christmas. So um, the other thing that I've been working Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bar humbug. <laughs> the other thing this week, obviously, has been, you know, Christmas has certainly kicked in in the Argent house. Uh, has it started properly in the Rose house? Well, kind kind of. I, I, I spent a bit of time last week putting up the tree. Um, got <laughs> Vomited a bit of tinsel around the house into different places, you know. Those kind of those kind of things. So my my usual Grinchy exterior vanished for a few hours whilst the uh, the tree was getting decorated. I you know it's, I'm learning all the time uh, who you are, and you know if you are the Grinch to my Santa, then <laughs> again, great part. I go bigger actually at Christmas. I think when it comes to decorations, I love the house to feel like Santa's grosso. <laughs> I love to walk down the stairs and feel like I'm in a queue for my uh you know my gift <laughs> and uh the kids love it right but you know the kid are the kids bothered because yours are a bit older than mine yeah less less so we were re- reflecting on my now 15 year old who when he went he, he believed in father christmas till he was quite old um but actually we only really found out sort of when he when he fessed up at the end when he was about 10 that actually i only believe in father christmas because i realize i get extra presents if i can keep playing along with you you know he gets the father (laughs) christmas presents so 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 you know i think i think to be fair my kids see see christmas they enjoy it but they do see it as a bit of a transaction as well (laughs) outrageous outrageous who'd have thought um kids think that christmas is about getting presents if they maybe they've maybe they've developed my sense of cynicism. <laughs> I've got. I meant to ask you. So you you put up the tree, but yeah. uh, real or fake? Um, well, we had a long debate about that, but basically, this year is the last year of our crappy old fake tree. This is oh. it's going up, but when it comes down this year, it's then also going to be disposed of because next year we're going to get an upgrade of some description. A fake again, though. I'm not sure. Not sure yet. We might buy a fake, another fake, a good fake, yeah. or we might uh, might might go uh, for real next year. But we'll we'll see. That's a decision for further down the track. <laughs> I see. I've come full circle on this. I I, I was a big real tree advocate. Um, you know, I we I actually sold them for you know with with my brother for for kicks um, a couple of years. But the 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 thing is, it's it was all about the smell, the spruce, right? The smell. But then there was this influx of non-needle drop Norman firs, and they don't smell. So I was like, oh, that's throwing the spanner in the works, so you've got to go for a spruce. But I, I remember growing up, my um, we'd always have it have the tree in the front room, massive one, as big as we could, and it would go out the window, you know, in early January. And then behind the radiator, you would have year after year after year another lay of spruce needles just topping up the back of the radiator <laughs> which would fall out throughout the year and uh i think when i got older and got a family and and, and got a mortgage in a house i started to become a bit ocd and i was like i can't have that <laughs> i need a fake tree in my life so so you've yeah. upgraded to a fake tree and some 
pine flavored air freshener exactly well not pine no because that that's makes the whole house smell like a toilet but yeah definitely fake and i would love more spruce in the house but you know unfortunately that's not gonna go well with the cleaning bill and everything else anyway that that was good so um what happened this week so um we we are in the uk and most of our audience is in the uk um but this isn't just about the uk this is about the pandemic there's a big inquiry happening in the uk at the moment and um there was some evidence put forward and quite interesting and relevant for i think digital transformation here that patrick balance who was the chief science officer i think during the pandemic to uh the then prime minister boris johnson was saying that the Prime Minister was bamboozled by the science during the pandemic. And this kind of got me thinking because there was a lot, and this is not a political statement, okay? This has nothing to do with Mr. Johnson's ability during the pandemic. But it got me thinking that there's a responsibility on the person who is giving the information as well as the person who's receiving the information, right, to to get it right. So who's actually at blame here? Is it is it the audience who might not understand what you're seeing, hearing, communicating? And in this case, it was a lot of graphs and a lot of models. Yeah, that are very common in a finance environment. So, communicator or audience or both? I, I, well, I, it's a really good question, and I think it, it's hard not to see it as both. I think there's, and, and we've talked about this a bit before on the pod in different ways around people trying to share their expertise and in some respects they share their expertise in ways that suit them and ways that they understand so as as somebody that's done a law degree I'm quite used to people writing down quite wordy things to explain a position where where it could be simplified simplified right down Um, but similarly working with data people quite used to people sending me something that is to them quite makes quite a lot of sense but to to a normal human is quite incomprehensible Uh, and I think that there's almost like a the, the part of the skill of the communicate communication of around data is not only thinking about your perspective but thinking about the others so if you're the person delivering the information you need to know the questions that people are asking of you and then present your information in a way that they'll understand but the flip side of that is if you're receiving information from those experts and you don't get it you should be humble enough and honest enough to say can you explain that to me in a different way, please? Or can you tell me that in words of one syllable? Or I know I'm not an idiot, but please, can you tell me? And I don't think there's enough of that either. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether sympathy is the right word in this. <laughs> the, the example that you started, you started with, but Never. I certainly have sympathy in businesses where you've got this disconnect between the data experts and what they're trying to, and how they're trying to explain things, and the senior business leaders and what they're asking. I definitely have sympathy in there. You know, if I think about visualization best practice, right? And I loved the pandemic because there was so much bad vis out there and you were literally throwing stuff at the TV on a daily basis. And it wasn't just the government, it was the media, it was all sorts of sources. But, you know, there's a responsibility to understand your audience and you have to make sure that you understand the audience enough, what they want, you know, what they're looking for, what their ability is to communicate that in the right way. And in in this case, you know, you've got a leader who needs to make a a, a huge decision off the back of the information that you're providing. Um, You know, maybe there's other information that you want to put out there to the public or there's other information you want to put out to, you know, the middle management. 
Um, and all of those audiences are different, right? So you need to consider them. Yeah. And I think what what came out was a, was a, obviously a deep frustration that the audience didn't get it. But I also felt that you know that 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 it was it was also on the communicator to frame it in a way so that the person does get it. You know, otherwise you you've yeah. lost as a communicator because you can't you aren't actually allowing that person to make the decision. And in a business world. You know, if you're a manager and you don't get that message across for that person to make the right decision, then you failed. It's not the person who's making the decision that's failed, or you, or rather, you both failed. Uh, so, so absolutely, and link back again, link back to something that we've talked about before, which is that kind of translator role and having having somebody that's in in the in the space that sort of helps translate between the parties. As you were talking, the thing that went through my head. Um, specifically around the pandemic was you know our favorite uh bbc correspondent hugh pym and the amount of times that you'd see him on the 10 o'clock news standing in front of a piece of a piece of wall outside the bbc and and slowly graphics would appear on that wall to explain what was going on with the pandemic different contexts of the pandemic you know it was never as detailed as the scientific advice that the government were getting that you'd see in the briefings but it was in a much more digestible and understandable form. It was translated through the BBC's lens for their audience, their broad audience, and it's almost that's what we're describing here. Um, again, in in the, the you know the case that you've suggested, i.e., <laughs> the pandemic and the COVID review, I, yeah. I would say that if the senior government ministers are not understanding the data or it's been presented, you know, they they have an obligation to ask. The scientific advisors to explain it in a way that they do understand it. I think that there are other things going on in that particular example around attention to detail and things like that that yeah. uh, that, that perhaps might come out during the inquiry. But <laughs> the point the point you're making is is absolutely you know I, I agree with the point you're making. I think both side both sides have a responsibility, and actually, there's some translation in the middle is always helpful. You know, if if there was a data scientist that you know turned up at a CFO's door and started spouting the the statistics and the models, and you know you should get this output, then I think the CFO would have right to say, "Hang on a minute, can I get you know uh, I don't know an analytics business partner in here to kind of translate what's going on because this guy doesn't get that I don't live in his world and and vice versa." Um, yeah, and I exactly think that, that was that was the dynamic here. Yeah. There were there was a couple there were a couple of throwaway comments though, which I thought were quite interesting to dig into. One of them was um, when when Boris Johnson was looking at graphs, he was a bit confused, bamboozled, right? Was the word? And he but Patrick Balance like threw out this line, you know, is he colorblind? Like in protest, but actually that is a huge consideration when it comes to visualization yeah. you know the, the 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 reality i don't know what the numbers are but it's quite a high number one you in are? 12 men one in 12 men one, one in 12 in men women. and one in one 200, 200. yeah so you know okay are you colorblind but you should know that <laughs> you know if well, you're communicating it but it's so so my one of my sons is colorblind and it's a hidden disability right you can't tell by looking at somebody that they're colorblind you can tell when they're doing coloring in um and they can't see things but my, my son comes up against it all the time where you know you'll go to he's been in he's been in a geography exam and the question in a geography exam relates to the colors on a map and he can't distinguish the colors on the map you know that, that they've used so it so it ha- so actually that um uh, unacknowledged disability it, it, yeah. it is 
is there. Um, it might have been a legitimate question. I mean, one in 12 men means that in your class at school, assuming you went to the same kind of school as me, there would have been three, color, you know, the chances are there'd have been two or three colorblind kids. And you probably didn't, wouldn't have known. Exactly. The, the cabinet, there's going to be two or three people yeah. who are colorblind. I, I wonder whether that's known. I wonder whether people actually know that. No. Um, and how much bluff and bluster and coping there is around it. They're all still looking at Santa thinking Santa's green, which is great. I, no, I, none I, of this I, I, Pepsi challenge, I, red. I was really thinking then that you you were struggling to keep this on Christmas and then you you, you brought it back <laughs> with, is Santa green? Ho, ho, ho. Yes. Is he green or red? There you go. That's a, t- a colorblind <laughs> test for Mr. Uh, Balance to ask all of his audience. And, so, and, tradition, and traditionally, we all know he used to be green before Coca-Cola got involved. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. But you've got to give them credit for, uh, you know, changing the entire world uh, towards yeah. their brand, which um, is another is another story. So um, so for, for a bit of fun, this is our Christmas special. And I will keep reminding people because, you know, the, the content is um, is great, but not very Christmas. I'm assuming there'll be sleigh bells in the edit, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll throw them in. Um, the. Uh, we were going to have a little retro, right? We were going to look back at what's happened over the last um, couple of months and uh, reflect on the podcast a little bit and and where it's going. Um, I, the, I think the, the first thing to say is thanks for everybody to listen who's listening. Um, you know, I joked the other day that we had uh, listeners in you know Estonia and Latvia and <clears throat> you know various parts of the world, and the audience is growing. It's great, and it's growing fa- faster with every episode. There's a there's a lovely visualization actually that you get from the platform that we're hosting our podcast on. And it, it's um, with every, uh, with every episode, the first week spike is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, which, which says to me that we're growing steadily, but also people are subscribing, which is great. So thank you for doing that. And thanks, you know, for, for supporting what we're doing, but what was your best, best part so far? You know, what was, were there any aha moments for you or, or particularly interesting comments that, that people made, um, you know, and Mike, we're going to talk about this, but it'd obviously be great for people to send, send us their uh, ideas either on LinkedIn or by email uh, podcast at generation CFO.com. So, so it's, it's difficult to answer that in a really short way. Um, so we've had some really interesting people that we've spoken with over, over the last few few weeks with a variety of different backgrounds and doing a variety of different things but there was a real thread that ran through all of it for me um sort of just reflecting back on it which is is around the people side of the work that we do so actually how important people and culture are to to happy happy working relationships and and good work um and, and within that there was there was a couple of examples so I, I remember us talking about um, adaptability and being adaptable in what we're trying to achieve and adaptable in roles. And I've written a list of people down here. So we were chatting to Lynn about purple people and the translators and that kind of uh, not even knowing that that was a role, but it's an adapt. It's that kind of translation place in the, in the middle where you, you sort of listen and understand. We were talking about with Alex around making your own path. You know, I didn't, there wasn't a career path for me doing the things that I wanted to do. So I basically went, went my own way and created my own roles. I, I, I think, loved, I loved her comment actually about my role didn't exist yet. 
Yes. But but, that, but now it does. And actually, I, I asked the community about that. I think we had a poll running and it was it was interesting there was quite a few people answered and i think it was about 50 percent said they didn't feel that their role was was there yet it didn't exist Um, but but actually i think one of the threads of all of the people that we've spoken to is actually that probably applies to each of them each each person has created a, a, a world that they want to inhabit rather than following a career path to it we you know we were chatting with hannah about last week about recruiting on values but equally we were talking to rachel a few weeks ago about using i mean using games and you know, exploding kittens in interviews <laughs> yes. to people in rather than just having standard questions so quite you, you can see just from the, the the breadth of people and what they're saying that we're, that we're talking to is that people are creating their own workspaces that they want to be in and whether they're just the people that we like talking to or whether that's that's the way things are going, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but I'm hoping it's the way things are going. I, um, I think I think they're all examples of the way it's going, definitely. You know, they've all got a – it's interesting. They're all pushing the boundaries, you know, as leaders, which is great, and they all see, you know, a need to improve. And there's a sort of restlessness about them, which I think – you know, is is a very positive, dynamic kind of thing to have as a as as a leader or as a manager. You know, because it's not all about leading. You know, you could want to deliver this stuff as a as a manager or or just a member of the team. They're yeah. they're thinking hard about what the future looks like and what a better future looks like and what a sort of transformed future looks like. Um, which is which is definitely a common thread. I do think they're challenging yeah. the status quo, right? It's not. It's sometimes easy just to sort of sit in your job and say, right, okay, what do I need to do to get through the day, or you know, get the next promotion, or, or whatever it is. Maybe we need to rename the podcast like "Restless Leaders" or "Status yeah, Quo." I, we're def- Maybe not definitely, "Status Quo." Yeah, definitely not "Status Quo." <laughs> we definitely get a different audience, I suspect. It's whatever it's, you want, Mike. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not even sure how to respond to Sorry. that. Dear, oh dear. Um, so just sort of following up on that. So, so, so the, the the one kind of outlier um, conversation that we had was obviously with Matt from journalism because his background being completely different to everybody else's. Um, but what I really liked about that that conversation was sort of exploring that people work in different ways. And back to our conversation that we were having a few minutes ago, really, it's that that's another way of you know, Matt's Matt's business and what he does is another way of working hard to engage people on a topic. So yeah. we we talked about what we were do, what he and I were doing when we worked back at, at in Defra days about using cartoons to illustrate a change rather than block diagrams. To make sure people didn't think that they could build for change, they just re- had to realise that there was a change, and that, that for me was that was yeah. I, I really liked sharing that. Yeah. It was a great story. I, I think you know, and you you were you were almost surprised by its success, but then you could learn from that that moment, right? Because yeah. you're not going to find that in a textbook, certainly not ten years ago in government. Because if I'm being really honest, when I when I was talking to Matt, I I I kind of underestimated what it could bring. You know, it was like, oh, yeah. it's the guy in the corner who's making it interesting for us because we're all executives and we've got a bit of money to spend on an away day with you know an artist in the corner um yeah and, and totally downplayed it you know and then actually when you hear the power of it if it's used properly and maybe that's that's the the, the floor of the facilitator on the the way days that I've had they should have used that content more they should have used it for discussion. They should have used it for bringing people into the conversation in different ways 
rather than it just being seen as a sort of capture of yeah of the day yeah i mean there's two ways of looking at it is it, it it's it is the art that's being created a tool as you described to have another conversation or is it like a replacement for somebody sitting in the corner write, writing the notes the minutes of the meeting which people never read anyway and so therefore people will never go back to anyway that yeah so across across the series that we've done so far it's i think it's been really interesting but yeah as i say coming back to it, it's about people and approaching people differently and being adaptable within within approaches i suppose i can't remember who said it or whether it was even said and it's my interpretation but we often talk or this is this is my paraphrased quote that i've forgotten who, who might have said it but so we talk about work-life balance but actually, we need to remember that work is life. Therefore, both need to be balanced. And it, and it's that that for me was like quite important. And and what I got a sense of from all of the people that we've spoken to was that they enjoy what they do. So actually, their work is enjoyable. So therefore, it's not a balance with the rest of their life. It's part of their life. Yeah, it's 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 it sort of links to that authentic leader thing. Yeah. You know, it's like you if you can align. And I, I sometimes talk about this because I did this when I set up Gen CFO. But there's a um, there's a sort of Japanese concept that if you can align your strengths to what you're good at, what's needed in the world, what you can earn money from, blah blah blah, then you can find this sweet spot. Um, and interestingly, in Japan, they only use it for hobbies, <laughs> whereas over here, you know, the Western sort of consultants are saying, yeah, you can use this to find your new job, whatever. But it um, that way of thinking is actually really sort of helpful in in being authentic and bringing yourself to work and basically aligning your strengths to your job rather than sort of feeling that you know you're, you're in the wrong job, um, which some of them did right. Some of them felt that they were in the wrong job until they found the right job, and if it you know if as soon as they landed that job, it was like yes, this is it, I'm off. Absolutely, and you know, there's, I think there's two people that we've spoken with I've not mentioned. So recently, we spoke to Cat. Um, working in the government finance function. What was really interesting is I'd spoken to Kat way before we we did the podcast when she was looking to move from private sector into public sector. And what was really nice talking to her was actually finding out that she's found what we've just described, i.e. that balance, within a structured work environment so she she hasn't hasn't had to go out and create her own business to, to be able to find a place where actually those kind of like different people-based skills can be uh, accommodated and, and nurtured. And the, the final person that we've not mentioned is Dominique, so our first podcast. And actually, this, this is almost like a reflection on us. I'd really like to go back and have another conversation with Dominique because I think that we've improved how we run the podcast since we first spoke with her. And actually, we could have a, a really another really interesting chat with her to build on the first conversation. I mean, she was talking about conscious leadership and making conscious decisions around leadership in, in business. But I'd like to go back to that and have another conversation around that. I, I like that. I really like that idea. I would, you know, I'd like to go and talk to everybody again after six months or 12 months and see how they've got on. Because also with Dominique, she was moving from CFO to COO as well. So yeah you know, huge shift in the roles. So there you go. That might make make the uh, speaker recruitment easier uh, for everybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll just get everybody back on. But no, anyway, I think it was, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, we've, we've learned a lot as we go. We appreciate everyone listening in and, um, and we're going to continue, right? It's, it's been a, you know, it's been a fun ride so far. So, so far, so good. So, uh, as it is Christmas, I thought we'd do something different. And it's normally at this stage where we say, hey, guys, 
if you'd like to ask questions to the audience or to us or to the speaker, then you can send your emails into podcast at generationcfo.com or contact Mike and myself directly. Um, but instead of doing questions this week, as it's the Christmas special, I've got a quiz. <laughs> I've got a quiz for Mike and I'm going to put him on the spot. And I'm actually going to do this properly because if you are listening, I'd like you to try and do the quiz as well. You'd be welcome to join in. It's just for fun. There are no prizes. Sorry, we're not adding to the huge amount of retail sales out there for Christmas. Um, so, Mike, I'm, and and this is going to feel a bit weird from a podcast point of view, but it'll probably you know take a couple of minutes to go through it. And it's entitled, it's not particularly Christmassy title, but it is FinTech App or Ancient Philosopher. That's the quiz, <laughs> right? And I'm going to chuck a few words at you and you're going to have to decide. And I expect you to get most of these right. The first one is uh, Zeno. So FinTech or Philosopher? So I've gone FinTech for Zeno. Wrong. Zeno is actually a Greek philosopher. So uh, one down. Next one, uh, Venmo. 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 Mm. I mean, these are all going to sound like fintech apps. That sounds like a fintech app. Correct. Vendor management. Venmo. You know, who knows? Google it. I don't know. Uh, There you go. So one apiece. Um, Next one. Oh, well, you'll get this one. Monzo. So I suspect that that is a fintech app. That is a fintech app. Very good. Chat. Uh, oh, the, the next one's obvious, but like you say, could be a could be either uh, Aristotle. Well, definitely an ancient philosopher. Yes, Greek philosopher, primarily a Greek philosopher. Okay, uh, Sophie. Well, my my head is saying fintech app, but I'm going to say ancient philosopher. Oh, you should have gone with your head, Mike. Oh. It is a fintech app. uh so what are you you're three and two at the moment i think um so three good too bad uh next one vertis say that again vertis vertis that sounds fintech happy or vertis i think um vertis is a fintech app well done yeah it takes the lead um Seneca. So Seneca is is an app that the kids use to do their homework. So as a because of that, I imagine it's an ancient philosopher. Very, that's great deduction, and you're absolutely right because it, it's a fintech app. Remember, not on not an, yeah, exactly. any education. Yeah. App. Yes, it, a, a Roman philosopher, yeah. uh, Seneca. Next one, Soldo. Oh, sorry, no, Soldo. Um, so Soldo is definitely a fintech app. Oh, God, he's away. He's away. Oh, that's 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 because I've got branded Soldo material that I've clearly picked up at a Gen CFO event. Oh, right. In the house. <laughs> <laughs> ah, damn it. Um, and uh, two more. Plio? Uh, on the basis of where we're going so far, I say that that's, that's another ancient philosopher. <laughs> No, that is in fact a uh, a fintech app, um, and Plato obviously would have been an ancient philosopher, but Plio, no, that's uh, a fintech app, and the last one, um, Aurelius. Oh, it's got to be a philosopher, Marcus Aurelius, absolutely yes. Roman philosopher, and uh, yeah, was mentioned quite a lot in the Gladiator film. 
if uh, you're a fan of that. So anyway, there you go. Ho, ho, ho. Just a bit of fun. Uh, I think, yeah, you did. You, you definitely uh, smashed that. I think you've got about what, seven, I think, seven out I of think ten. Sm- smashed it might be over-exaggerating <laughs> somewhat. but Smashed it. I, I wonder whether manage. anyone got ten out of ten. Do uh, do let us know if you are, uh, if you did get ten out of ten. And also, um, if you do want to ask, like I said, ask any questions, then it's podcast at generationcfo.com. So appreciate that. So... If, you want to send, if, you want, if you want to send me a quiz to ask Chris, feel free to send me a quiz to ask Chris <laughs> on a later podcast. Yeah, get your own back. Yeah, that's exactly. fine. That's fine. I, I have actually been on a quiz on, on radio before. And uh, I have to say, I did terribly. My nerves got to me and uh, I couldn't spell um, for toffee. So, what was the quiz? You can't just leave that hanging. (laughs) So, it was was another lifetime ago, actually. I used to work um, as a client accountant doing loads of client reporting for radio, radio shows. So the, and and the way that a lot of the independent radio shows work is that you um you you basically buy the show so you know the DJ turns up with his show and and you're actually buying that whole show you're not just buying the DJ or employing the DJ and uh, it was on us to kind of sell all the airtime around it and sell all the advertising and I did all the client reporting for it so uh, because I did this I got invited to Kiss FM to do right. uh, as a a quiz called Friday People, I think it was. Can't remember who it was with. And um, uh, you know, it's a bit. It was a big deal uh, at the time. You know, Kiss was going really well, Jazzy B and all that back in the day. And um, I was kind of there as I think I was kind of there as the boffin, if I'm being honest. A bit of the geek and a bit of the boffin, and and you know, then the, I was surrounded by salespeople who were all happy to you know get get on it at ten o'clock in the morning. So um it came to it came to some of the questions and they hard passed it to me and I was just like wrong, 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 wrong. And uh I really yeah, I really felt a little stitched up. And when I got back to the office, because it was a sales environment, sale radio sales environment, they had been playing it across the entire company on the PA system. So uh awesome. I got stick for yes. you know the next couple of months um so there you go not not a great experience uh overall right. so, so maybe I'll, i can I'll redeem go- myself i'll be googling friday people after we finish <laughs> see if i can find that right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm definitely it's a long time ago i don't think it's going to be in any archive anyway soon so bringing this back to christmas uh i've got some good data bad data for you today so um have a has hazard a guess if you if you haven't looked at the show notes um so good data how old is santa this is really good good news how old is santa wow how old is santa no i'm not talking about the red version you know which is obviously in recent memory but how old do you think the concept of santa chronicle yeah well when i say the concept obviously he is real so it's not a concept it's uh yeah i need to be careful don't know who's listening um let let's say i have no clue 400 years oh no way off Way off. Okay. Go go bigger. Oh, further back. Yeah. Oh wow. I've I've got no idea. Be way back. Let's go fifteen hundred years then. Much post, much post. better. Yeah. Yeah. M- much better, but um, but still short actually. Santa is currently one thousand seven hundred and fifty-two years old in twenty twenty-three. 
um, because the origins of the story go back to Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas, yeah. who was a monk who was born all the way back um, in 260 AD. Um, wow! Which okay, has, has rolled all the way forward to to this year, which is pretty amazing. I think that is good data because uh, he's he's still alive and kicking after all that time, and very much alive and kicking. Don't listen to what Mike says about it being a yeah, concept. Ap- apologies, I, I refer you to my Grinch comments right at the start. And uh, the bad data on on site, and this could be viewed as good and bad, depending if you're in retail or not. But I I actually heard um, who was it? It was Martin Lewis talking recently about the amount of presents that are bought that basically aren't used or wanted and the amount of pressure on people to buy at christmas especially as there's a bit of a uh cost of living crisis going on at the moment but has it a guess at what the what retail sales are at christmas what total yeah oh the this, this, is un, this is pretty unfair as well i've got no clue on the no concept of this i'm gonna say it's in the oh, 10 billion it, you know i wouldn't even know where to start I would not even. Well, I know. Stuff, I, I feel, but, uh, given that you've said that, you should feel bad that you even asked me. <laughs> I feel terrible asking you, uh, and yeah. I feel like this is going to come back at some point with my Friday people. So, it the US Christmas market. This is just to give you a, a sense. Oh, you of didn't how, say that. You didn't say how, that. How big? It, oh, you'd have got it right otherwise. Didn't you? <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> in 2023, total Christmas retail sales were projected to reach a new high of 957 billion US dollars 957 billion US dollars in the US and that's not including the whole of Europe and that's not including the rest of the world and I think this is the thing it's so much oh actually I've got another number uh the US sorry that was the US in the UK 84 billion pounds yeah so what's that it's about just under 10 percent of uh of the US but it's crazy. It's a crazy amount of money. And the reason why I call this out as bad as bad data is because <clears throat> I just feel it puts so much pressure on people to buy. And uh, yes, you know, you, you're going to have to buy for the kids and everybody else. But I really liked what Martin Lewis was saying about why don't you just check in with the adults and say, look, shall we not bother if we don't need to or if we you know, don't need the pressure? Um, and, you know, with your colleagues and with your boss, you know, it's a it's really nice when it happens if you can afford it, but you know don't put that unnecessary pressure on yourselves um, at this time of year because it's not needed. I mean, I mean that that make that makes perfect sense. I think you know as you asked about the rose household earlier, we're in a place where that's what we do. We we don't really give each other gifts at Christmas because we've pretty much got got what we need. So there's no point just going and buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff. The kids accepted, but the the thing that's in there that I've got no data for, but I'd really like data for. So if anybody can find it, that would be great, which is over the last sort of 30 years, how much more plastic are we buying at Christmas? So, you know, my, you know, my parents, and probably the same with your parents. You know, they were lucky if they got a lump of coal on a Satsuma. I think that they, those are the stories I used to get. Yeah. Um, you know, to right, right, right through to where we are now, where eighty-four billion pounds is being spent on what? What is the stuff that is actually being bought, and how much of that stuff actually gets used, or how much of it just gets, you know, it goes into the tap drawer and stays there? I'd like to know that data. 
I'd love to know that. I'd love to know that. And if if anyone does does know that, then do uh, email us in as well. I think there's you know there's um, there's a lot of joy at Christmas, and I think you know Mike, if you don't want to send presents, you know I'm sure you're sharing the present of time and you know uh, fatherhood <laughs> and you know all that all those things, which you know is is what it's all about. And um, time with each other is precious, so I think that we should put that at the top. Of I, I suppose. I suppose to be clear, more more the point is you don't have to wait to Christmas to make somebody feel special by giving them a gift. Is more the point. But anyway, well, on that note, uh, I'm going to wrap up. So. Uh, thank you for everyone who's is listening. May you have a wonderful Christmas. We will uh, be taking a couple of weeks break, but we've got some great speakers already lined up for the new year. Um, this is our Christmas special. Um, so I hope you're having a, a fantastic wind down to Christmas and uh, we hope to see you next year. So um, see you next year. See you next yeah. year, Mike. Yep. See, see you next year. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone that's been on the pod so far. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Ho, ho, ho. And remember. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And remember, it's not all about the numbers. Mm-hmm.